What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Finance for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wren. Join me as we dig into what it looks like for physicians to begin using their finances as a tool to live better lives. You can learn more about our resources at financeforphysicians.co. Let's jump into today's episode. What's up, guys? Hope you're having a great day. Today, I was going to talk about real estate. I am sure you've heard and seen, maybe even in your own home, how real estate prices have been a little bit hectic lately. We're going to talk a little bit about this, but uh, today I mainly wanted to focus on real estate as an investment. So how do you build wealth with real estate as an investment? I think with your with your primary residence, this is really not the right approach. Your primary residence is a place that you live and is more of a lifestyle decision than it is a wealth building decision. Uh, but lately, you know, real estate prices have been a little hectic. And so it might feel like you are building wealth in your home and you are actually building wealth, but it's difficult to realize that wealth. So, so yeah, we're going to focus in on the, the actual investing in real estate outside of uh, your primary residence. But all this, all this crazy real estate market stuff has been uh, really interesting to watch. It's as we record this, um, I think, you know, the latest numbers, it's definitely uh, over, it's definitely double digit percentage increases, uh, you know, the overall United States. And in some markets has been, uh, you know, quite a bit higher than that. Uh, we've seen a lot of our clients in our planning firm see massive increases in their real estate in short periods of time. And so this is definitely uh, kind of a big market factor right now. It has reminded me a lot of the price increases we saw in 2005 through 2007. But I think the causes, the underlying causes then were different. But uh, I think that's that's the first question that typically comes to mind is what is causing all this. We'll talk about that in a second. But so this is going to be a podcast dedicated to people that have some interest in, in investing outside of their primary residence in real estate. So if you have if you're not interested at all in investing in real estate outside of your uh, primary residence. Um, you probably ought to skip this one, save the time. We're not, it's not going to be for you. So on the other hand, if you have any level of curiosity about investing outside of your home, or maybe you're kind of in the early stages of that, I think this is going to be really beneficial for, for that crowd of people. So odds are you're going to get pitched a real estate opportunity soon. Uh, I'm sh- or maybe a lot of you have already seen that happen. Maybe a lot of you are already in on your first real estate deals. So I think the key though, is to have some of these baseline planning concepts down so that you're getting started on the right foot and going in with eyes wide open. So that's really what we're going to focus on today. Okay. So before I get into that, so this crazy market, I mentioned, I threw out the question, what's causing all this. And it's, it's always fun to kind of talk about that sort of thing. And I'm going to kind of share some of the reasons I think, or what I've seen uh, people say is causing it. But just a quick little disclaimer, I think it's important to say nobody really knows at the end of the day. A lot of people, people love to talk about what's causing these sorts of things. But at the end of the day, nobody really knows for sure. Take 2008 downturn, for example. Everybody loved to talk about how they saw it coming or knew what was causing it then. But nobody in like 2007 and six was talking about all the reasons that maybe they were hitting on one or two, but they, people just didn't see all that coming. Uh, it was, it was a shock. And some of those things were kind of flying under the radar. So 
at the end of the day, nobody really knows all the underlying causes that are affecting this sort of thing. So take take all this with a little bit of a grain of salt. Now you can still it's good to be educated and so and, and kind of keep a pulse on what what's happening. And so so I'm definitely not a real estate expert, but I know what what's kind of happening in the industry and I, I know what people are saying. And so if you look at the, the price increases that we've seen, so what's driving that? So for starters, supply and demand is always going to drive prices in real estate. And so right now, real estate supply is ultra low and demand is high. And so when when that happens, when supply is low and demand is high, that's always going to result in prices going up. When you have, for example, you know, one house for sale in the entire neighborhood, big old neighborhood, that's low supply. If you have one house for sale, low supply, and then you have like 20 people that want to get into the neighborhood, high demand, that results in competitive price bidding, price goes up. All of a sudden you get people asking over bid, uh, bidding or uh, agreeing to prices above market and it just drives those prices up. So that's really what's happening. So, but why is demand high? Why is supply low? So I think the reasons I hear, uh, most common reasons at least. So demand is high, I think, first, because all these people still want to buy their first home. And the facts, are, the factors that are in play are, are making it even a little bit potentially easier to buy their first home. So I think a lot of people say there's even more than normal people wanting to buy their first home uh, with the millennials being in their prime home buying uh, season of life. Plus, I think with, especially with COVID and people being kind of locked down, there's more people than normal looking for like a vacation home or a getaway have uh, property. People that can afford it are definitely pulling the trigger on vacation homes. And then you got the people that live in the big city that have had, have just through COVID wanted to get out of the city and move to the suburbs. And so that they're moving because of COVID. And then you still have all these people wanting to invest in real estate. Plus, on top of all this, you have really low interest rates and, and there's the stimulus money that a lot of people have. And so people like see the money, you know, stimulus money, they see the low interest rates. They're like, if I'm a millennial and I am still renting, I'm like, now's best time ever. I, I need to buy now, especially those with solid incomes like physicians. They're still buying. And, and a lot of people say they're buying a lot. There's a lot more of those people uh, even than normal. But supply is low. So supply is very, very low. I think it's like record low number of houses on the market. So why is supply low? That's that's the other big factor. Well, I think the first reason you see is home builders are cautious because they're a big part of supply. If, if there's a ton of new homes being built, that's going to help add to supply. But home builders are cautious. Uh, I think the main reasons they say is because uh, they're still they still remember 2008 and they really, a lot of home builders really got in trouble in 2008 because they were being too aggressive, taking too much risk. And so they seem to have in general or overall pulled back the reins a little. Also lumber prices are, are super high and skilled labor is difficult to find. So that makes it difficult for a home builder. And then on top of all that, you have these local regulations. It's like, you know, different cities or even different uh, municipalities or they have to deal with all these local codes and it tends to be pretty restrictive and uh, it's difficult to find a lot of times land or lots and and then when you do find it you have to go you have to follow all these rules and it's just not as conducive as it could be for builders uh, that want to really 
increase the number of new constructions. So also contributing to the low supply, people are locking in low interest rates on their mortgages in their existing homes, like the established people, you know, Gen X and uh, baby boomers, they're kind of just like setting on their homes, I think is the general consensus. They've locked in a low interest rate. They don't really want to do anything until everything settles down uh, with COVID. And so they they're, they don't really have to move and they have a really good interest rate now. So they're kind of just chilling out. So you, you can kind of see those collectively result in there's just not a lot of houses uh, available, to be, available to be purchased. So uh, the net effect of that is prices uh, will go up. So now on top of all this, so this is really what we're going to focus on today. So investing, real estate investing, I think this is, seems to always be a hot topic, but it, it seems like it's even become maybe even a hotter topic, especially in the physician circles, is this idea of I want to invest in real estate, you know, kind of as an alternative or on the side or to get passive income or that sort of thing. So that's really what we're going to focus on today. So how do you make money? If we start to look at that subset of real estate and investing in real estate to try to really strictly make money. Uh, so how do you do that? Well, there's, if we boil it down to the most basic level, there's really three ways to make money in real estate investments. The first would be to own property that increases in value. So appreciation, it goes up in value as you own it. The second would be to own property that is rented out to others that generates income streams. The third would be to loan money for real estate deals and charge interest on that money. So that's just, you know, you just earn interest. Those are the three core ways to make money in real estate. And really, if you compare that to other things, it's a lot like investing in, uh, any company or any investment for that matter. So for example, um, you can be an owner in a uh, company, uh, a publicly traded company is the easiest example because anybody can do it. So you can buy stock in a publicly tra traded company and hopefully the stock price increases in value and you see appreciation. Uh, and maybe you also get dividends on top of that, which is income, or you can lend to a company in the form of bonds and earn interest on that bond. So at the end of the day, it functions a lot like any other business investment. So what are some of the actual ways to own real estate? Well, there's really a ton of different ways, but but I'll hit on kind of the core or most popular ways that we see. So you got long-term rentals. That's, I think most people know what that is. You, you buy homes, maybe single family uh, homes in a certain area and you rent them out for a long period of time to renters and, and that's how you do it. Uh, you also nowadays, this has become a lot more popular with VRBO and Airbnb is short-term rentals. So that's more like a hotel business model. Uh, you're, you're buying real estate properties and renting them out, but for short-term periods of time, similarly to a hotel. So the market is people, you know, on vacation or in an area for a shorter period of time, so the typical long-term rental lease is like a year or more. And then the typical short-term deal or lease is like a few days to like maybe a few weeks. And so typically the rates for those are higher, but there's a lot more volume coming in and out. It's much more like a hotel. Then you have flips. Like that, I'm sure you've seen TV shows with flips. You you buy a, a place that's just like a fixer-upper or you maybe needs just a little bit of cosmetic help and you put in the work and then you sell it uh, usually for a, not a long period of time. 
or you can just invest in apartments uh, like multi-unit deals uh, or even hotels themselves. Uh, you got commercial properties, you can buy office spaces, uh, industrial spaces, any sort of commercial deal. You could even buy raw land. That's, that's another kind of section of real estate. You can buy and hold land. You can lease it out. You can, you can develop land. That's, that's another area. So there's all, all kinds of ways to uh, invest in real estate and actually own it. There's also ways to uh, lend money for real estate deals. So you can loan uh, money to an individual or a business for a, a deal that they're trying to make. You can buy real estate bonds uh, or funds, bond funds that are kind of like effectively the same, but like pooled investments. Or you can do peer-to-peer -peer lending. That's kind of like uh, a different way to essentially loan money for a deal. You pool the peer, you know, the peer-to-peer -peer, uh, process is pooling of the money for a real estate deal. But it functions like you get an interest uh, payment uh, for that loan. But I think the first question, though, before we go too far into what all this looks like, I think the first question you should be thinking about is, do you want to be strictly an investor, as in like you have no responsibility outside of writing the checks, or do, or do you want to be more involved? Like, do you want to get your hands dirty? Do you want to uh, put your own personal touch on it? Do you want to be the, the boss, like the, 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 the manager, operator, that kind of thing? So here I'll, I'll throw out some examples to kind of help you see what those different things might look like. So we'll start with like the least involved, uh, real estate investor, and then kind of go more involved as we go along. So, so when you're, if you look at the least involved real estate investor, the best example that comes to mind would be just buying or investing in a real estate investment fund. Like they call it a REIT. So you can invest in a mutual fund or some sort of fund like that, that is ultimately just going to buy real estate for you. And you have zero responsibility other than to put the money into the fund. And a lot of you probably already own this sort of asset and you might not even realize it a lot of times. Uh, so like advisors, financial advisors, financial planners, like in our firm, our clients are investing in real estate through this channel. A lot of them don't realize it until they see the underlying assets. A lot of work plans also incorporate uh, real estate into their platform of options. So really, this is the least involved because you're strictly only writing the, check, writing the check and acting as the investor. Now, you can definitely get a lot more involved. So the more involved real estate deals... This kind of gets into you finding other people's deals to invest in, but maybe you're not totally involved. So crowdfunding is a good example. You still have to like search for good deals and pick it, but you're not like literally picking the property and hiring the people and firing and calling in the shots and managing it. You're not, you're just looking for the deal really in that situation, in the crowdfunding situation. So that's where, you know, you got a lot of different... Uh, pooled investment options. Another example is you got your buddy that has a real estate deal uh, and he's looking for investors. That's probably something maybe you have even seen come up in your own situation. The example I'm talking about is when they're like, listen, I'm going to handle everything. All I need you to do is write a check and be an investor. And so that's that's the involvement part is you have to still do the due diligence on your buddy's deal. 
like you need to check it out and understand how likely it is to succeed and understand the risks and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, your buddy is responsible for, you know, managing it and, and running it. Then you have syndications. That's another example of kind of like private deals that you can invest in. Same sort of idea. Your responsibility still would be ideally to screen the deals and understand the deals and pick the best deal. But uh, from there, you're handing it off to whatever company is managing the actual investments. So these examples, you're kind of, you're definitely a little bit more responsible. You definitely need to understand what you're doing and, and uh, understand uh how it works and, and be able to screen them, but you're not really running a business necessarily. The last example, this is more what I would call, so this is the most involved example. This is like really running a real estate business. Maybe it's a really small business, but you're at the end of the day, you're much more responsible. You're creating your own deals uh, or partnering with others to, to uh, do a deal and you're fully responsible or substantially responsible for managing them. Uh, at the end of the day, you're uh, the one that makes the call. You're getting your hands dirty. So examples of this, definitely short-term rentals, long-term rentals, flipping a house or managing a loan like to an individual, like if you loan an individual money for a real estate deal. At the end of the day, all these examples, you are uh, responsible. You can definitely hire help, but at the end of the day, you make the calls and are responsible for running them. So I think most people that are talking about investing in real estate, they tend to be talking about the last two examples, like getting your hands dirty type, like more getting into whether it's uh, just kind of investing in another person's deal, like you're somewhat involved, but not completely involved, or you're fully involved in essentially creating a real estate business. That's typically what you hear about when people are saying invest in real estate. And those deals typically have much greater return potential. They definitely are very popular. I hear people talking about them all the time. There's all kinds of physicians building substantial wealth in these sorts of deals, and they're great. But there's always trade-offs, of course. And I think when you read about it and hear about it in general, a lot of times you only hear the benefits. That's just kind of a common, especially if you're Googling random articles, so I think it's important to understand really the behind the scenes of why that's happening. So why are all these people writing about real estate and wanting to talk about real estate? I think the biggest reason there's so much um, hype or uh, interest around real estate is there's just a ton of money in real estate. There's a lot of money to be made. There's also a lot of incentive to write about it and talk about it. So there's all sorts of uh, gurus. There's always been... Uh, gurus in real estate. Uh, some of them put out great stuff and actually know their stuff. Sometimes they don't, but they all have some level of incentive and it, it can vary by situation, but maybe they want you to invest in their real estate deal or click through to their partner companies that ultimately pay them behind the scenes, or maybe they want you to buy their course or use their recommended real estate service providers that also pay them behind the scenes. They also have an incentive to keep, to have you continue reading. And so that's going to often require, you know, staying interested in real estate and eventually getting into real estate. So I think this is important to keep in mind because there's all these incentives and conflicts of interest, and that doesn't make these people bad. It's just, 
and, and most of the time they are good people and smart people, but I think it's helpful to understand that they're out there and really they're all, they're all over the place and you'll go in to the reading the content. I think more eyes wide open if you understand that and, uh, kind of, it's like in medicine, they, you, you all do a much better job at revealing your conflicts and that's helpful because you can kind of understand where the biases are. For example, like I have a conflict right now, I run a financial planning firm for physicians and that's my day job. So we have a financial incentive to convert you, the listener into clients for our planning firm. So I'm definitely going to be a bias when it comes to things like hiring a financial planner. That's just, that's just the way it is. By understanding these conflicts, I think it helps you be a more educated and smarter investor. So there's all kinds of people talking about real estate. And I think this gets kind of the, the interest uh, going. And like anything, some do well, others don't. And like anything as well, when you hear about it from other people, you really tend to only hear the good stories. People are hesitant to share about their failures. So if, if maybe you're not reading about it but maybe you're hearing about it from a colleague or a friend or something. So you also have to remember uh, a lot of times you're not hearing the whole story. And so that's just the way people work. They tend to talk about their wins, not everybody, but most of the time they tend to talk about the best deal and they leave out the train wreck. You tend to be getting a filtered version when you're hearing from somebody. So I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here. I just really, I think it's something you got to know about before you get in so that you can, like I said, be educated as you start to invest. So I think the big benefits that people tend to share about when they talk or write about real estate investing, number one would be diversifying. You know, it's a different type of investment uh, than the traditional investment and it allows you to diversify. That's a common thing. Passive income. That's probably the most common thing people talk about is passive income. It's a way to earn money while you sleep. Um, we're going to talk about that more. So, um, that's usually what kind of the idea, the concept is that people share. Sounds appealing, right? Also tax shelters, uh, real estate has unique tax shelters that, uh, you can't find elsewhere. That's a common point that these, uh, that, that the industry tends to make and better returns. That's pretty much always, uh, especially when somebody's really selling, uh, has a real conflict, uh, they're going to push those returns, but these always sound pretty good on the surface. You know, if that was the whole story, then you might as well invest all your money. It's a home run. But like I said, there's always, there's always uh, downsides and we'll talk, I think we're going to talk more about kind of what's missing from that and understanding that more behind the scenes so that you can kind of see both sides. There's always pros and cons, like I said. So I think the pros are, are easier to find. You can Google, there's a million articles about all those benefits of real estate and but the, the, the negatives, the downsides, the other side of the coin, that's, that's really what, what I wanted to talk about because that's not as commonly discussed. So let's talk about the downsides. And these will correspond to some of those common benefits that I just mentioned as well. So I think the biggest thing that people don't talk about when they're looking at real estate investing, uh, number one would be time. So typically, going back to what I was saying before, I said passive income, earn money when you sleep. That is in most cases a lie because at best it's, it's a, a little bit misleading. So with real estate, uh, anybody that I know that has been successful with it has put in a lot of time. It takes a lot of time, especially the more active, the active 
you are with the investment. So those sorts of deals, like short-term rentals, long-term rentals, flips, when you're responsible for it, that's especially the case is you're going to be having to, you should expect to put in a lot of time starting a business. You got to really think of it, you know, like a business, but it just is going to take a lot of time. So I don't, passive income is a little bit misleading in that I think it implies that there is so earning money when you sleep that definitely implies you're not spending any time it just happens automatically so maybe you can get closer to that point but i don't think you can really ever get to a point where there's no time requirement uh whatsoever or you know zero and if there is a no time requirement you have outsourced everything so that is a whole separate deal in itself will require more cost but there's still going to be time like managing those people that you outsource to. So I think that's a huge uh, misconception is there is a lot of time required to start it, to get into it, especially the further you go down that list of things I was sharing. And if you're not spending any, any time on it, that's a problem in itself. The second big thing is responsibility. I think same thing, the further down that list you go, the more responsibility you have. So if you are getting into uh, buying individual single family long-term rentals, for example, people are challenging to deal with. So you have to deal with people. You have to find a tenant or you have to find t uh, candidates uh, to potentially rent and you have to screen them. You have to have a process for screening them. You have to have a lease uh, for uh, them to sign. Uh, you have to ultimately select the right tenant and you have to deal with them. You have to interact with them in some capacity. And then you have to hire people to either fix the house or manage the property or list the property if you have help with that. There's inevitably going to be people, service providers that you're going to have to work with. And these people are can be challenging. People in general are challenging. We are not built all the same. And so that adds a whole element of challenge there in itself is dealing with the people. Uh, and people typically will look out for their own interests first especially when you're talking about average, uh, most people are going to look out for their own interests first. And as a result of that uh, and other reasons, I think it's just really hard to find really solid people. And it's, it's much, much easier to find people that will take advantage of you. So I think the big thing is you have to have, you really have thick, thick skin. You might say, you know, a property manager can do it for you, but, but at the end of the day, even if you outsource that kind of stuff to a property manager, um, you have to have thick skin enough to uh, be able to fire them or ask them to lower their pricing or ask them why they're not getting the job done. That all falls on you, which is responsibility. So that's not even getting into the legal responsibility, that the business planning responsibility. You're the one that's going to have to create the plan, select the deal that you purchase. If you're getting into short-term rentals, you have to have the property in itself. You have to buy the property. You have to find the property, buy the property, uh, get the financing down, pull the trigger, make sure you get it leased or fixed up if you need to do that. That's a lot of responsibility. And then once the money uh, starts coming in and you have to manage it, you have to deal with bookkeeping and taxes and all that sort of stuff. And if they don't pay, you have to deal with collections or, you know, foreclosures if you're doing long-term rentals that's all there's a million sorts of responsibilities you tend to not think about on the front end but that's 
you know, part of the deal and it varies by the type of real estate you're doing, but it's, it's, it's typically going to be definitely there. Another big thing that gets missed is the risks of real estate. So real estate values, I think most people know this now because 2008 was not that long ago. Real estate values can go down. Doesn't matter what real estate it is. Doesn't matter if your market is great right now. In 2008, most real estate went down to some extent. Some went down way larger. We saw way larger drops than, than in some areas than in other areas. But at the end of the day, real estate values can go down and sometimes buy a lot. And especially real estate that's leveraged. So if you're leveraging a real estate, that means you have debt on it. So if you have a mortgage on real estate, essentially you only own a, uh, you own outright a smaller percentage of the total investment. So when the problem with that is when values go down, you get a much larger uh, percentage drop in your equity portion. It's much easier for you to go upside. That's what they call upside down is when you have the value has dropped below what the mortgage balance is. And so you essentially have to pay to get out of the house. So that's where you can see massive swings and uh, returns for you. So there's definitely risk in real estate, but it, it depends on what you're uh, investing in. But something uh, like uh, single family homes, for example, this is kind of within the risk situation. A lot of people think of diversification in real estate, but in reality, it's actually more concentration than diversification. So especially if you're doing something like one area, one type of real estate, like single family homes in Lexington, Kentucky, that's where I live. If you're just buying single family homes in Lexington, Kentucky, that's not diversification. That's concentration and is less diversified. And so that's, it's not bad. It's just not diversified. And I think investing with investing, uh, a lot of people consider real estate their safe money. Sometimes that's the case. Now, if you like, for example, if you don't have any mortgages on your real estate, so it's not leveraged and uh, you have lower risk type of real estate, then maybe it is a fairly safe investment. But a lot of times it's actually much riskier than people consider it. The other big thing that people miss is returns on real estate. I think this is more of like an overstated thing. It's like so especially with um private real estate. I mean, you can find like a REIT, like a real estate investment trust. They have to report their returns and it's very straightforward and transparent, but we're mainly talking about active real estate deals. So private real estate is kind of like the wild west of investing. Like when you're talking to people about their experience owning long-term rentals, for example, people throw all kinds of numbers out. Like there's zero there's no there's there's no way to verify that. There's no like real standard to to measure that against. Uh, and people love to talk a big game. So it's difficult to really know what's actually happening with other people and get a pulse on the actual experience of other investors. And so that's, you can find some, some data on it, but it's difficult to find data on the returns on those types of investments. And people definitely tend to overstate those numbers, especially if they're, if you're getting pitched a deal. I mean, I would just be like shocked if they didn't show awesome returns. Like what else are they going to do? They're trying to convince you to invest in it. So, um, and they're also optimistic about it. And so people uh, are going to show solid return numbers. Uh, and if, you know, if they don't, then there's no point in investing for sure. But the other big thing is people show a return on investment that does not incorporate the time that they spent 
That's, I think, a big one that we see because if so, for example, let's say you have a, a short-term rental and you do not have a property manager, you do not have a cleaning company, basically you do everything yourself. So you're the one that uh, advertises it. You even put a sign up out in front of the house. You're the one that advertises it to get the tenants in there. You're the one that goes and meets them and gives them the key and shows them around you're the one that deals with the problems as they come up and goes and fixes something. If it pops up when they're there, you're the one that is going to clean the place after they leave and manage the money as it comes in and keep the books. Basically you're doing all of it yourself. And so that time component is a big deal. And if you're comparing a short-term rental where someone doesn't do that, to a short-term rental where somebody does do all that, a lot of times they're gonna calculate the, their returns the same way. So if I'm an investor, I'm gonna be like wanting to know, if I'm an outside investor, I'm gonna wanna know what that time component is because that's definitely a huge part of the equation. Other big factor we, we see kind of missing from a lot of this is, is complexity. So especially with some of these real estate deals that other people are pitching, complexity is, they tend to be extremely complicated. Things like syndications a lot of times are super complicated. It takes a lot of time to understand them. And so you want to be careful with them. I think it's best. You need to understand it before you invest in, in, uh, into something. If you don't understand it, definitely don't invest. But that when you deal with comp complex stuff, uh, it just adds additional time and even risks uh, for kind of missing things. So that's, it's got to be considered too. I think the last big thing we see missing is, is alternatives. Uh, a lot of times people are not thinking about alternatives to real estate as a business. I think at the end of the day, it really is uh, just a lot like running any other business, especially with the uh, more involved real estate, like, like buying and owning short-term rentals, long-term rentals, flips. That's a business. That's a real estate business. And so I think you got to look at it like you're a business owner. So when you start to look at it like a business, you're like, well, um, you know, I can, if I can do this business, I could do any other business. You call the shots, you make the deals, you're responsible for it. You make the business plan. Um, but I think the biggest error I see is that people aren't thinking like the business owner. They're thinking like, I just want to make money while I sleep. And I think the right way to do it though, is you have to treat it like a business for it to work. And once you see it like this, you might decide there's a different type of business that you want to start. Like, like any business, real estate has all kinds of potential. You can make your real estate business like ultra successful. Your, any business that you are dedicated to and put in the effort and do it right is going to see very big returns, much greater than like a passive investment that you're not getting your hands dirty with. Any business that runs well will see you know, solid long-term returns, but you might have a different type of business, like something, um, you know, you can think of anything, like you could in, start a medical device company or in, uh, create a new service, whatever, create an app and sell it to, there's all kinds of things, anything, the sky's the limit, but that's in the same category, I think is, is in uh, investing in real estate. But I think you, it's best to approach it with eyes wide open and have good expectations and understand not only the perks, but really what's the other side of the coin. So as we kind of wrap up here, if, if we're kind of trying to boil all this 
down and you're doing it the right way. So you understand kind of all the pros and cons and you say you've kind of decided to go down a certain path. I think before you get too far down the road, I would really hone in on the purpose and maybe you've already thought about this, but if you haven't, you want to have a good answer for why, like, what's your why? Why do you want to invest in real estate, especially if it's a more active real estate? Like, why do you want to build a portfolio of long-term rentals? I think common answers we see is build wealth, passive income, tax benefits. Sometimes people will say, I want to have a, a place to vacation to, but also make some money. But, uh, those are just kind of surface level, I think, examples. But what I would say is ask a follow-up, like, why is that an important thing? Because, you know, why? so why are you looking to build passive income? And a lot of times, you know, when you peel back the layers, it's, uh, you know, I don't want to be, in, I want to work my way out of medicine or have an alternative option to work in or an alternative income source. Um, or maybe I have a passion for building a real estate business um, or maybe I want to fund my goals of being able to retire earlier, fund education. Those are typically like the underlying uh, reasons that people have. But I think it's good to iron those reasons out first and understand those. Because, for example, let's say your reason is you want to have a place to vacation to and also have a good investment as well. Uh, that reason is, is a, that's a very tricky uh, balance to strike. And I would kind of proceed with a, a little extra caution there because there's different reasons. Like each one typically has conflicting uh, reasons uh, or conf conf they, they tend to conflict with each other. Like the ideal uh, vacation place a lot of times is not the ideal uh, investment property. Now, sometimes you can strike a balance and do pretty well, uh, but it's more difficult. Uh, also, it's something sometimes people will kind of they'll trick themselves into uh, deciding it's a great investment. And really, it's just a lifestyle decision. And they're going to use it a lot and not rent it out very much and not treat it like a business. So I think it's better to just say it how it is. Like if it's a lifestyle decision, it's all good. Like uh, have a vacation home and, and but don't like buy it as an investment and then allow yourself to do it much sooner than you would have otherwise because it was an investment. It's better just to say it how it is or pick one or the other it makes it a little easier. Uh, you don't have to do that, but it, it gets tricky when you combine those two together. But understanding that purpose is going to be beneficial. Let's say, so I think one of the best reasons, like if you're really, you do have like a passion or uh, you're excited about it and you want to kind of change how things are done or you want to be like a landlord that that is actually... Uh, does a good job for tenants and has a good relationship or builds a different type of real estate. I mean, those are, I would say, some of the best reasons for doing it. Building wealth is okay, uh, but like when you can kind of sh find some passion and solid reasoning behind it, that's, I think, really where you can hit a home run. There's a ton of ways to build wealth. Real estate is really crowded and competitive, like a lot of industries. Really, life is short and your time is valuable. If you want to make sure, if you want to make sure you're making a good decision, I think it's best to try to go in uh, for the right reasons and 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 really think about your time. And it's extremely valuable. And if you're going to do something like this, it needs to have a very good reason for doing it. So, start with your why. Understand your purpose. If you want to go down a more active path, you definitely want to learn about that type of real estate first, at least the basics. You don't need to like learn, go to college 
become an expert, but uh, you know, maybe take a course, read a book, follow a blog, uh, make sure you understand the conflicts, especially if you're dealing in like uh, kind of the private world, create a business plan. That's going to help you iron out the goals and timelines and financing and return potential risks. And, and I, ideally you set concrete action items as a uh, kind of uh, follow up to this planning process. And then really it's just about going out and executing. Don't expect perfection. I think it's almost better to expect imperfection like and learn from the mistakes. That's really how you get better at things like this is you go out and you make mistakes. Hopefully they're small and you can learn from them and hopefully you can learn from other people's mis mistakes. But at the end of the day, you're going to make mistakes and uh, it's definitely not going to be perfect. And over time, track your returns uh, so that you can compare it to other investments so that you know kind of how well it's doing relative. So don't forget to incorporate your time into this. Uh, tracking time would be ideally best case scenario. And as you start to see the time you spend, you want to think of it like dollars per hour. And are you good with this hourly rate? So if you're tracking time and returns, I'll, sometimes you're just going to see, you know, ideally you see solid numbers and you're, you're satisfied and you're happy and you keep the uh, property and, or you're, you stick to the course. Um, other times it, it's bad. You're, you see that your dollar, your rate that you're essentially earning per hour or the, the return on the investment is pretty lousy. And so, uh, that kind of pushes you in another direction, but ideally you have a pulse and that requires some sort of a tracking or like KPI or that sort of thing. So, I hope all this has been helpful. This has been the intent was to kind of hit on the high points of real estate investing. Talk about some of the things you probably don't read about as often. Uh, look at definitely the downsides as well as some of the, the positives. If you want to get into the weeds more, definitely let us know. We can find, uh, depending on what direction we go, we can find an expert to, to come on and join me and we can really dig into some of the more specific areas of real estate, but hope it's been helpful. Let us know if, you, like I said, if you'd like to dig in more and uh, hope you have rest of your great rest of your day and we'll see you next time. As always, thank you so much for joining us today. If you found this valuable, please give us a review on iTunes and share with a friend. Also check out our website at financeforphysicians.co for all sorts of additional content. See you next time. Finance for Physicians is not an investment, tax, legal, or financial advisor. All content included in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial tax or legal advice. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by Finance for Physicians as to another party's informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. If you don't have an advisor or would like a second opinion, feel free to check out our website for recommended advisors.